0: Hi, everyone. This is Yaza Nori, creator and host of the Behind Her Empire podcast. I want to thank you for being here for our inaugural episode of our podcast series. It truly means the world, and I hope that this interview and the interviews to come give you the inspiration, insight, and guidance you need to start your own empire one day. Now, before we jump into my interview today with Lavinia Errico, founder of Equinox, I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about something very important. These are trying times to say the least. We're in the midst of a global pandemic with a possible recession on the horizon. And on top of that, we're in a battle to address and raise awareness around the severe racial injustice that's been plaguing our country for far too long. First and foremost, I wanna say that my heart goes out to everyone who's been impacted by our current state of the world. It's so sad to see what's taking place, but I wanna share with you that I'm hopeful for a brighter future. I'm hopeful not only because I believe in the human spirit, but I'm also hopeful because after interviewing countless women for these series, I've seen a few common threads. Number one, many of them started their business during the last major recession or after a serious moment of adversity. Everything from losing their jobs to going through a bankruptcy and even surviving a deeply traumatic event. Number two, the women in the series are truly an example that anything is possible. So often in their lives, countless people told them that they didn't see their vision or in even some cases that they didn't believe they could execute on it. Against all the odds, they succeeded and their success should be an inspiration for anyone who's trying to create a better future. Now, lastly, I wanna share something on the topic of diversity and inclusion. We know that female entrepreneurs and leaders are incredibly underrepresented in the business world and press. Women get less funding, less attention, and have to face a whole set of hardships and bias that men don't even encounter. Now, when someone is female and black, or a female and a minority, or from the LGBTQ community, the challenges they face multiply. And in my opinion, one of the ways that we address this is by highlighting successful leaders from these groups. That's why I'm so committed to making sure that Behind Our Empire is not only a place to uplift women, but also a place to uplift women from a diverse group of backgrounds. Now, if you want to help me achieve this goal, please feel free to reach out to me at Yasmin, Y-A-S-M-I-N, at BehindHerEmpire.com, and tell me about a woman I need to feature, or better yet, introduce me to her and her story. Thank you for hearing me out. Together, we can inspire women of all ages and backgrounds around the world to build their own empire. Now, on to today's episode.
1: We didn't sit down and do a business plan and say, oh, we're going to create an Equinox Fitness Training Institute. Like you try one thing, you see, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, we're really onto something here.
0: Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I wanna welcome our first guest to the Behind Her Empire podcast, Lavinia Errico, the visionary founder behind Equinox Fitness Clubs and now the Inside Out Movement. In her 20s and 30s, Lavinia built a leading fitness company that forever changed the way Americans think about health and wellness. At the peak of her success, Lavinia sold Equinox for millions and was instantaneously wealthy beyond her needs and dreams. Although she was living the quote-unquote American dream, Lavinia realized that somewhere along the way she had lost the things that were most important to her, her essential self and identity. This experience pushed Lavinia to embark on a completely different path, a journey to rebuild her identity from the inside out. Lavinia now inspires individuals and organizations with her unique disruptive take on how to create a more powerful, authentic, and inspiring life. Welcome to the show, Lavinia.
1: Thank you, Yasmin. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, we're honored to have you and so excited that you're our first guest. So on this podcast, we always love to start from the beginning. A lot of your work ethic and drive comes from your upbringing. I would love to learn more about what your life was like growing up.
1: Well, first of all, I would say that, first of all, we were six children and my mom had, or my parents had, five kids in two and a half years because she had two sets of twins um so life was hectic it was crazy you know but and yet beautiful because we were all together I mean you know we had this the sibling um, we had best friends we really and and we had our own sports teams <laughs> so and my mom said that it's like my kids every one of them came out running jumping hopping skipping like we were just all about moving i mean i even remember my little sister it's two years younger than me and she broke her leg and i just remember her figuring out how to run and run around the house and play kickball even and run the bases with this like big cast on her leg Like we were just those kids that nothing stopped us from moving um And, you know, we grew up with parents that I believe had really impeccable work ethics. My mom was um, she got married later in life and especially uh, in those days because most women were getting married at 22. And my mom, I think she got married at 33, had us at 34. And but my mom was a career woman when there was no such thing as career women, you know, Um, and she was very self-educated. You know, she graduated high school and then it was into the workforce. And she always says that it was her tenacity. It was her determination. It was her will. It was her inner strength and her commitment to learn. I mean, my mom was always a ferocious reader. I mean, nothing was worse than going to the grocery store with her because she read every single label. It was just like, mom, like, let's get out of here. But she would not put one thing into her cart without reading every single label. Um, So, you know, we really were very lucky. I mean, as a woman, I was very lucky having my mom as a mom because um, she believed you could create, you could do whatever you wanted in your life. There was no ceiling. You know, she never made us as young women feel like, oh, we had to marry well. No, like I didn't grow up with that distinction at all. It was like, no, you can create what you want for yourself. So, um and then of course to have a dad who was just like you know, my dad was um basically my dad owned delis. Um but you know, at one point I think he might have had six or seven delis in New York City. And then they took that money and they would start, you know, buying a little bit of real estate. And they were just very entrepreneurial. Um and of course there was not that word in you know, 1965 or 1970, it was no word like called entrepreneurial. They just made their money. And instead of putting their money underneath the mattress, like other people maybe were doing, they took that money and they invested it. And I will say this, like a lot of that was my mom. You know, that was my mom's um, inspiration, my mom's push to saying, no, Danny, let's invest like this. You know, my mom was just really so 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 self-educated and read everything there wasn't a newspaper she didn't read you know so we grew up like even then like so today I tell the young people that I mentor I'm like I don't ever want to hear the excuse that you can't get something because of knowledge today like we can get that knowledge you know then it was much harder but I saw my mom Going and reading and reading newspapers and reading smart magazines and going to the library and getting books and you know so when you grow up in that kind of environment that's what inspires you um, so I was very fortunate that way
0: yeah and you've talked about you know growing up with five other siblings and two sets of twins which is amazing you're a a super, you're, you're a twin I have a twin brother I and are you the oldest in the yeah. family yeah. Mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you've talked about how just growing up with such a large family, your superpower is being adaptable. I mean, how yeah. has that resonated in your your life as you look back now?
1: Well, you know, because there were so many kids, and when you're the eldest, and by nature, I would say my my nature was to be a caregiver. Like, you know, when you go in and you start doing all your inner child work, and you start realizing what you attach to and how you get your accolades and how you get your praises and how you like move through life. I realized that was a big part of who I was. So um, by nature, I sort of started taking care of my siblings at a very young age. Like I just remember my sister still had a bottle. They were two and a half. And so I must've been four and I was literally getting up in the middle of the night or getting up six o'clock in the morning and taking their, their old bottle that was in there and taking it out because my thought was, oh, I don't want them to drink that milk because it's sour. Yeah. Like four-year-olds even have that on their radar. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I did. And then I remember my mom even turned our, our refrigerator around So I could open up the because before I was taking a chair Mm -hmm. and getting into the refrigerator to stand on a chair to make them milk. And so she's like, God, like Lavinia, you're going to fall off the chair. And I literally, so she changed the refrigerator around so I could open it up and get the milk because even if she told me not to do it, that's just who I was, you know? And I remember we would go out to dinner and because we were so many kids you know, you go and you sit down to eat at uh, at a restaurant and, you know, first of all, the diners, the people that are dining next to you, when they see six kids walk in, they're like, oh, I can't believe I got stuck sitting next to this huge family. But the truth is, we behaved. Um, that was one thing about my mom. She was a disciplinarian. Like, she just, she, I don't know, she, I guess she had a little bit of that, that tough Italian and she, she you know... All she had to do was give you a look. Like that little eyebrow would go up, and you were like, okay, like we gotta behave. But I would even take it one step further. So before we would go to the restaurant, I would walk around with a fake pad and I would take the, I would make every one of my siblings tell me what they're gonna have to order. And I was like already in my executive functioning. Like we're we going to have, we're going to go to Lovey's. That was like an Italian place we all love. What are you, chicken parmesan, what are you going to have? And if we would get to the restaurant and one of them would say, I'm going to change my mind. I'd look at them and say, no, you're not. Because I knew as soon as that dynamic could start, that can, you know, make my mom get like, I shouldn't have come. This is crazy. Cause six kids, you know, all so young. So it was like, I figured out how to take charge Um, In a way, like I said, I think my little executive functioning just kind of, you know, keyed in and I started doing that. And before I knew it, and also because I loved going out, I was an extrovert, like I loved going out for dinner. So I had to figure out a way that we could do like really fun things, even with six kids and not be like they're hiring a babysitter and they're going out because it was like, no, I want to go too. So it was like instinctively to do those things. Like when I look back sometimes and I'm like, like I, even as far as like, I remember when it was time for my one sister to learn how to tie her shoe. And I just remember, cause my mom would be that person that if you're going to tie your shoe, we're not leaving until Fran or whoever ties their shoe. And I would be sitting there practicing with my sister. So that on the weekend, when we'd be wearing sneakers She'd get her shoes tied so we could all be out doing something fun. And like, sometimes I think, how did I even know to do that? You know, let's sit down, practice how to tie your shoe. So I just by nature kind of took over that role. And I sort of would like look and foresee a problem that could possibly spark. And I was just in there taking the initiative to fix it before it could happen. And I do think in business and in life, cultivating that is actually a good thing.
0: I love hearing your story because it seems like you're very much who you were as a child, a caretaker, very dependent. But I'd love to fast forward to when you went to college. You know, you had a very big family on the East Coast and you're quite close to them. How did you decide to move to the West Coast and uh, go to USC?
1: Well, I went to USC not straight out of high school because my my um, my mom was not buying that at 18 years old that I was going to like just trek completely across country. Um, so at my next, I went. I remember going to this um, college fair in New York City, and you're just walking up and down all the different aisles, and every school's there to basically share how wonderful every one of their schools. Were, and I don't know why, but there was something about Ohio University. It had a dance department. It had an acting department. It had a communications. Like you know, I had to have something to fall back on. Um, and there was something in their presentation that I thought, okay, that's good. And it was also that it was far enough that I didn't wasn't going to be expected to come home every weekend um, because I just knew that as much as I loved my family, I also knew instinctively that that I needed to also cut those strings. Like I needed to cut some of the, the umbilical cord, especially between my mom and I, because we were so close. And there was a part of me that always loved to do things, clothes that I would wear, choices that I would make that would make her happy. Um, which I think is the case for a lot of young people. But, you know, I also knew on some level that I needed to explore every edge of me. Like, like you know, that's how I mentor the young people right now is to really explore the edges of, of who you are. And I think I instinctively knew that I needed more of that. And I knew I couldn't do it under that you know, under those restrictions of my conditioning and my upbringing. Um, and, and I was never wild. It wasn't like I was like this wild child that wanted to go wild in any way. I, I don't know why. I was never a person that meandered into drugs or things like that. I just wasn't, I'd never had that interest. Um, but it was just to kind of understand who I was. So, yeah, my first stop was at OU and I met a lot of great people and and that was a a somewhat good experience, I would say. But I just knew that wasn't where I was going to stay for four years Um, because we were so different, you know, coming from, you know, New Jersey, where I lived, but spending so much time in New York City now being in Ohio, you know, it was it was hard for me sometimes to connect with some of the people because our lives were so different. Um, but yet there were aspects of it that I I loved. Um, And then it was going to USC. And at that point, I was like, I just felt, and I was 20. So I felt like I was really ready. And that was an amazing experience, actually, probably one of the best experiences of, you know, my life at at that young age, for sure. And it was like a grow up. I, I mean, I had to grow up, I had to, individuate you know and then I remember when I graduated my mom came out to graduation and, and and you know that's where a lot started though like that's where I couldn't afford to join a gym and that's when I, I was starting to really get into working out and I loved classes so I started teaching classes and it's a way to make a little bit of extra money while I was in college because you know my parents basically paid my college they paid like room and board and that was it. Like yeah. so every, You had to be was,
0: creative how to make money, right?
1: I did. I had to really be creative. And then I remember at graduation, we afterwards, it was just her and I. We went out for dinner. We went to Lowry's on La Cienega. And, and my mom said, you know, I have good news and bad news. What would you like first, Lavinia? And I was like, give me the good news. The good news is I'm going to pay your health insurance and your car insure- insurance for the next few years. Great. The bad news. That's all I'm paying. And I was like well, how am I going to live out here? And she's like, I mean, if you come home, you're always welcome to live home. But I'm not, we're, you know, your dad and I are not in a position to, to support that. We have other kids who are putting through college and we just don't have, you know, the funds for that. And, you know, and that was probably one of the best days of my life. I mean, that was like the day where it was like, Okay, girl, I have to put on my big girl boots and figure this journey out because I wanted to stay. Like I knew I, didn't, I wasn't ready to go back.
0: So, you had this conversation with your mother, you're wearing your big girl boots, and you realized that you had to get different jobs to pay the bills despite your interest in acting. So, you worked in a department store and then a private nightclub. And then you eventually came across an idea to run your own business. Can you share more about your life at that time?
1: So at that point, and I had a cousin who was actually living in LA at the time, and he was um, an actor on a TV show. And I remember one time his assistant wasn't able to go to the house, and he said to me, "Hey, could you do me a favor? Could you go to my house? And the Maytag man or the refrigerator guy or something was going to needed to be there, and then he would give you like that four hour window." Like from 12, could you just sit at my house? I'll even pay you. I'm like, sure. So I do that. And then the next thing I know, one of his friends, he says, hey, could you go do that for a friend of mine? And it was a friend who was on, on um, uh, General Hospital. And I'm like, sure. And by the third time that I did this for a couple of people, I thought, you know, I could make a business doing this. So I started this company called 24-Hour Errand Service for those in LA who need, no wait, uh, errand service. Oh no, express errands, express errand service. And my slogan was for those in LA who need 28 hours in a day. I loved it. it's and I literally, like, literally started hiring all my beautiful actress friends who needed to make some extra money. And before I knew it, like I had six girls working for me and we were doing everything. Cause you got to realize there was no Uber in those days. So we were picking people up from the airport. We were, you know, moms, especially who were kids were out here working, you know, as actors kind of got in with this little actors community. And we were doing like all these, taking them to the farmer's market to go grocery shopping. And then they went to their kid's house and then maybe picking them up and taking them the mothers, while the kids were working, you know, the you know grown adults working, and it was like I, that's how easy I realized business was. Like I didn't have this again, and I I wasn't calling myself an entrepreneur. I just saw a need. Like that's what I was really good at. You asked me to do something three times, and I'm like, there's a business here. A lot of people would want this. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think a lot of your story, I mean, even from working at Bullocks to taking these opportunities is even if you didn't necessarily want to work there, you've always been very optimistic and open minded. So these opportunities have come into your life, which, you know, this is just the beginning of everything else that's come. So I think that's a beautiful point to, to bring
1: up. You know, I always say, like, be open, be open, like and say yes, you know, I just, I'm that yes person. Like, I believe if somebody put an, something in front of me, even if it's like like today, I must have gotten four emails introducing me to different people. And I'm the person that will write you back and say, great to meet you. Because I believe on some level, first of all, um, I believe in my own energy that what's supposed to come to me will come to me. Like, so... Um, I'm just that person. And I've just always been that person. So open, so willing to pitch in and help in with my own hands, like, let me help. Or, hey, do you need some help? Or when something comes, like, yeah, I'll try that. I mean, unless it's something that's against my character or my values. Um, And I've gotten, you know, I'm not going to say I haven't gotten into slippery situations. Because life, when you are so open... Life does show up, and all of a sudden, like, you know, I remember being invited to this party. I must have been about 23 years old, but the truth is I was 23 and looked about 14. I just looked very young. And I'm walking in, and there's, like, a bodyguard at the door or whatever, and the guy says to me, why are you going in there? And I'm like, what do you mean? I showed him. I said, I'm of age. And he goes, you don't belong in there. And I didn't know what that meant, I don't belong there. And then I got, and I went in and I walked around and I could just feel, I mean, maybe he had already planted that seed that I didn't belong in there. Well, girl, I ran out of there when I just was like, he's right. I do not belong in here. You know, like there's something here that's not me. And um, so I just think like, but you, and then also to know yourself well enough. To know that that's not you. It's also what that level of discernment, I think, has helped me along the way too um,
0: greatly. It seems like you've always been a naturally curious person. So you're in L.A., running your business, still going on casting calls, trying to be an actress. What was the impetus for you to move back to the East Coast?
1: You know, I think if I have to, like, look at that moment, I had a brother that had come out. And stayed for about a year. And then he went back. And I think and I had gotten out of a serious relationship. And I remember thinking, if I stay here, I'm going to meet like the my person probably out here. And then I'm going to end up getting married here and living and having kids here. And I just thought to myself, I don't know if this is where I could be where I could put my roots I also thought for that, I would want to be back with, close to my family. You know, I thought that that would be, that was part of my journey. Um, So that was like that moment. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then you, so you went, you moved back home and then you switched careers again completely because you accepted a job at Lancome, right? And they're... Well, what happened
1: was, I got back home and at this point, I think I was about 26 and... Yeah, I was about 26. And I thought, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do? And you're back start- to that same step. I I'm mean, it seems like yeah. moment where I was like, and I kind of was done, I'm not going to say done with the acting thing, but and the dancing thing. But there was definitely a part of me that when I started to get paid for it, like I was a Rockette, the Rockettes came to LA and I auditioned and did two, two, you know, Christmas shows with them. And Some of the girls were talking about coming back to New York and working that. And I was just like, you know, I wasn't feeling that. It was like I got that off my bucket list, I guess, even though I didn't know I had a bucket list at a young age. But when you're a dancer and you do that, and then I had also worked on the TV show Fame doing some of the dance stuff. But I also noticed that um, when I started getting paid for that, I didn't love it as much, you know, it was like something lost for me in in the working, working, dancing, performing, and then getting paid. A lot of standing around, a lot of it just wasn't me. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be, you know. And then I, so I didn't. It's not like I wanted to go back to New York and stay in that lane. And then I went and got my real estate license just because I thought I don't know. It just seemed like everybody got their real estate license, and I went into this very this wealthier area where we didn't live, but I went there and I thought, well, if I'm going to sell houses, I'm going to sell big, beautiful, expensive houses. And I went up there and they hired me right away. And I went on my first caravan. And I had to think, like I said, I was about 26 years old, maybe soon to turn 27. I went on my first caravan and I remember coming home and I said, and my mom was so excited. She was excited that I got into that office because she thought it was very competitive to get in there with them. And since I didn't know anybody and or know anyone anyway. And then I go on this first caravan and I thought to myself, like, I can't do this. Like, I just can't sit around and talk about moldings and marble and tile and toilets and like how square footage, like there was nothing about it at that age that was like getting me really excited. I just didn't, I wasn't feeling that, you know? And so, I'm living in New York now. And I have a girlfriend. She was like one of my best friends in high school. And she was working with Longcomb. And the next thing I know, she, you know, she kind of brought me in there, you know, little different ways. The, um, I think he was the vice president of sales. I was waiting for her and they walked in and he's like, who's that girl waiting for that woman? And or who's she waiting for and said, Oh, waiting for Judy Taylor. And the next thing I know I'm in training and then, you know, I'm going through first product training and then through this training and then, then I'm just working and I really realized like, this is, I loved it. I loved cosmetics. I love the glamour. I love females. I love beauty. I mean, it was like, um, and I also loved not being stuck in an office. Like I knew I could not be that person that went to the same place every single day. Like I just didn't, that wasn't what I was aspiring to on any level. So yeah. And I just kept getting promoted. I kept getting promoted. I think I, I, again, I had that work ethic and I had that curiosity and I could like what I think my superpower was, I could see like the little white space. Oh my God, create that. Or we could create that. Like I wasn't creative interesting enough, like as an artist, like painting or drawing, like my twin brother was amazing at that. Interesting. That's why he creates these most beautiful spaces and, and the details of what he does is just, he's genius in there. But I never was called the creative twin, you know, because that usually when they think creative, they think um, that like drawing and art and putting stuff together and and, but I was creative in another way. Like I was really creative like that. And, you know, that's where I was so lucky because at Longcomb, for whatever reason, uh, I think it was the the senior team there, they really appreciated my energy, my, my enthusiasm, my creativity. Um, like they really are like the people, like if I had to say like that kind of like, like Gave me the confidence to do it was really like everybody at Longcomb. They, really, and that's funny enough, what I always have tried to be after that. Like, they became, I want to be that kind of senior person, I want to be that for young people, I want to be able to see the greatness in them even before they can see it. So, um, yeah, I'm so so appreciative for what that those couple years there brought me, you know? Yeah.
0: You know, looking at your career, I'm sure a lot of people listening right now, I mean, including myself, you tried so many different things and you always had that inner voice. I would come back and say, say to you, this isn't right. Something doesn't feel right. Right. It's like, I, maybe I don't want to dance professionally. Maybe I don't want to stay in LA and run this entrepreneurial business I have, or, you know, real estate's not the right thing. How did you not have any judgment on that and, and be fearful on, okay, what do I do now? Because so many people want to figure out what their lane is, which I'd love um, for you to talk more about.
1: You know, first of all, I think growing up with my mom, like growing up where you try it, you know, like it wasn't, um, because that's how you build confidence. You know, and also like my mom, it was never like, I mean, I know today it's kind of a cliche, but my mom was never like win or lose. My mom was like win or learn. There was no failure. Actually, getting clarity and realizing, number one, I'm, I'm really not good at that, you know, and number two, it's not really, I'm not feeling it. Excuse me. That's like a great step. That is such a good step, you know, and also it, it's not like every part of your journey isn't to, you know, the measures of success is how you navigate that and all the different things that you do. Like I know there isn't one thing in my life that I've done that hasn't added texture, hasn't added color, hasn't added like dimension to who Lavinia is. I know that like and I love that. I mean, I'm going to tell you like it's crazy, but like I love, 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 love who I am. Even younger, I'd say what I love about me is I could go to the White House and figure out how to navigate and I could sit on a bench next to a homeless person and connect with them equally as well. So there's a level of confidence and I believe that that's what my mom really did like she helped us navigate. So we had such confidence in our own skin that no matter what life threw at us, we had it in us to adapt, to navigate, to make good choices.
0: Your mom really seems like such an incredible role model. And I love what she said about it's not about winning or losing. It's about winning or learning. And I think it's so important for everyone listening, including myself, to just remember that when we're trying different things in our life and our career. So I really appreciate you sharing that. So let's fast forward to when you're living in New York and you're working at Lancome.
1: Well, I'm working at Lancome and I'm, at, I'm working out at like three different gyms because we my brothers and I all lived in the same building on the Upper East, Upper West Side of Manhattan And they were working out at this like dingy little gym that I'm telling you was like the size of, I don't know, a kitchen um, on the Upper West Side. And then I was literally like taking aerobic class at one place. And then I was joining another club, the vertical club at the time. And then every once in a while, I would go down to like world gym because I love to like kind of like get inspired by the like hardcore bodybuilder girls. And I was kind of like doing that and, and like, we were all complaining. Like the three of us were just like, even though my brothers had their, they were doing, my brothers were entrepreneurial. They had, you know, they took over some of my dad's delis and then they were also doing, they had a pizza thing. They had about five or six different parking situations. Then they got into the construction business. So they would have this construction company that they were doing. So they were kind of like doing all that stuff or we living in the building. And we were just like, God, somebody needs to open a great gym on the Upper on the upper um, West Side. Like somebody needs to open a great gym. And, and we were talking to all of our friends about that. Like, you know, you're just talking to a lot of people. So of course, for an entrepreneur, that would be market research, because that's what market research looks like when you're an entrepreneur. You just keep talking to people about, like uh, opening a gym and what it would be like and what we would have and done. So, um, you know, I mean, not as simple as this because it was not as simple as this, but it was like, at one point, I think it was sort of like, all right, nobody else is doing this. I remember there was this place, New York health and rocket. I think they're still in business, but they had a sign for like for the years that we lived there, health and rocket coming soon. So we kept waiting. They're coming, they're coming, and they never came. Um, so then we were like, all right, that's clearly not coming. Um, and then, you know, my brothers were in the construction industry, and they had a, a man that owned a tile company that they would buy from, and he said, hey, guys, I know you, you're, you're gym people, and that was because you have looked at my brothers, and you'd see they were very fit and in great shape. And, you know, I have this – this piece of property that a gym was in there, a women's gym. And like they put it, they renovated it. They did all this stuff and they went belly up. Maybe you guys want to take it over. It's already done. The construction's done. Like you could, you know, so that wasn't in Manhattan and it certainly wasn't on the Upper West Side.
0: So just jumping in, you didn't immediately join your brothers to start this club and it looks like through a series of events, you met a consulting company who actually wanted you to launch all of their own fitness clubs, which was very similar to what you and your brothers were thinking of doing. And at that point, you had a conversation with your brothers. Can you pick up the story from there?
1: So then I remember my brother looked at me and he was like, well, if you're going to do that, Lavinia, you might as well work with us. And it was like, well, I wasn't going to go to work for them. Like, first of all, I wasn't going to go and move to Boston. And, and then that that was the seed that was planted to work together. And we opened that gym, that first gym, and I kept working probably for a while. Cause you know, of course you're first, you're pre-selling and then you're, we did have to renovate and we had to do this and do that. And so I did it until I think, I would say it was probably about eight months that I did both jobs. And then once the the doors open, I would say like maybe one or two months into the doors opening, I had to quit. And the truth is I took a big pay cut. Like, I definitely took a pay cut. Um, did it
0: feel like the right I, move to you at the time, like in your gut, or did. how were you feeling?
1: It really did. Like, I can't explain it. I just felt right. And I even remember I was dating... This guy at the time, and um, he was a, a doctor, and I remember his mom when I to, when I told her, she was like, "You're going from an executive to owning a gym." I mean, she had this look on her face of such disgust. I mean, oh, where like, is she now? <laughs> I mean, it was just so funny. I don't. She's probably not alive now, but it really was this like, like you're going to go into the gym business because the gym business wasn't what it was is today. And I, I really have to say because of Equinox. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that it wasn't that it wasn't like, Oh my God. Like did that bother you at the
0: time that she was second guessing you because so many entrepreneurs, right. Their families or their friends sometimes aren't the most supportive or they think they're crazy with this idea. How were you dealing with it at the time when you were sharing it with others?
1: Um, Well, you know, it's interesting because I even remember my dad having a conversation with me, like, Levin, are you sure? Like, you have a car, you have an expense account. Like, you know, I remember him, you know, having a conversation with me, like, maybe you should just wait a little bit longer to see if this thing is even going to get any traction, you know? And I was just like, I don't know, like, there was a part of me that just was like, it all first of all, I loved that business. Like I loved it. Like I loved, like even before we opened up an Equinox, when I first moved back to New York, I wanted to open up just like a workout studio. And my brother Danny was even helping me negotiate a space. And I was, it was going to be called the LA workout because I'd been teaching aerobics here in LA and LA, my nickname growing up was LA. They called me La because Lavinia was La. So it was like, I had this whole vision, the LA workout, da, 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 da. And for whatever reason, the man that owned the building really did not want to put a workout place in. He just thought it was not a good business. It wasn't viable. And I remember we did the logo and we did everything and I was so excited. And so that had always been like a real passion and probably because I was a dancer. So for me, moving my body was also, it was like, it still is, it's my happy place. You know, so you, you know, when you look at the things that you really want, like, you know, always write down the things that I want. And one of them is like, to be around people, you know, to be in a healthy environment. If I'm moving my body, I'm healthy, I'm happy, you know. Um, So it really had all the things that, or what, what I call today that were aligned with my authentic self.
0: You talk a lot about how you and your brothers were really aligned with your passions. Your brother Danny was running the real estate and finance of the business. Vito was involved with the design and architecture. And you were really driving the marketing, branding, and new programming within the gyms. Can you share more about your dynamics with you three together?
1: There was magic because every lane, they were experts and visionaries in their lane. Now, of course, some of the lanes crossed over. I mean, especially the lane that we all like to move our bodies, you know? And I think we all are outgoing and like people. Like there were so many things that, but it was that each one of us, like my brother Danny really like was amazing. I mean, I remember going to look at the location. It's actually a building we own, uh, that we own at 895 Broadway down at 19th Street. And I remember him taking me down there and I'm thinking, like really, Danny, Nineteenth Street? Like who comes down this far? Like, I have not one bit of vision in in that at all. And he was like, "This is going to be the new Fifty Seventh Street." I was like, "What are you kidding?" And he's like, "No, everything's going moving downtown. You'll see, Lavinia." And I didn't have the pulse for that. That's not where. That was not where my visionary was. That's not where my juju. That's not what like downloaded in me you know, but that did in him. And so we did. And you know what, like that building, like is just magical. And like my other brother who was so like, I mean, my other brother Vito, like started making the most beautiful furniture in seventh grade. Like he literally like wood shop, I think it was called wood shop in school. And instantly his teacher saw a talent in him. And then my brother would literally spend hours after school in woodshop learning how to do and make. I mean, he made my mom furniture like he made her beautiful furniture. So for him, like craftsmanship and design and making beautiful things and then, of course, making beautiful spaces. And, you know, so it really was the the magic of all of us that created what Equinox was. I always feel like I want to really emphasize that, especially for entrepreneurs, because I really don't believe you can do it alone.
0: Yeah, seems like you guys were growing so quickly and you were creating, you know, this culture that didn't even exist at the time. Right. How were you, at the time, were there any female founders or what was that like for you building a company in the early days of Equinox?
1: You know, it's interesting. Maybe because I was in Longcombe and I was already in, like, I was uh, in, in the cosmetic industry, even though, like, at the top, top, yes, for sure, it's all men. But I was around a lot of women executives. So I had already, I don't know, I didn't have that. Now, I, I remember, like, my, where my brother would sometimes take me to a meeting. Um, I remember one time I would walk into, I think it was a bank meeting. And he was like, you have to, you're coming. And I'm like, why am I going? I'm thinking like, that's your stuff. I don't, I, like, I can't talk numbers. I can't talk anything. He's like, no, just like, it was so cute. He goes, just do your Lavinia flowery stuff. Like talk to them about the brand and how great the brand is. And just, you know, like he didn't, just like talk about, just do you Lavinia. And, and I remember thinking, okay, well that I can do, but you walk into a room and it, of course it's a big, banker's type of room and they walk in and my first reaction was like oh dang like everybody's in suits and this and then it's like they start talking to me like I'm the wife of one of the brothers yeah like and then all of a sudden and and it was really funny because Danny would look at me like you know because that would be like are you kidding (laughs) like, like so um but you know what like that that happened a few times but for the most part I don't know like I've never been this woman. um, I'm not like I am woman, hear me roar. Like I am Mm -hmm. not that woman. I am not. I'm just like, show up, be the best version of yourself. Understand that men and women, like I love collaborating with men because very often they approach things, they see things differently. Like I am not that, even though like I always say women are my tribe, but I, I enjoy working with men. I, I really, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't look at it in, in that lens. And maybe that's why I've never, I just like to collaborate. Yeah. I like to create with a diverse space.
0: thoughts and ideas and people.
1: And people and differences. I love differences. Like I would say to the people, my team, like, don't come in here and give me Lavinia. Don't give me what I can come up with myself to impress me. Because then I don't need you. I need you because you bring something different. Like, and I would always say, like, don't try to impress me, just inspire me. Like, that's who I am. Like, I get inspired. I even get, because I'm curious, I get inspired by different thinking. I get inspired by a different approach. Like, I get inspired by hearing your point of view on why the members would like something this way. You know, I think things get so um, flat when everybody's just trying to give the CEO or the founder or whatever, what they think they want to hear. You know, like I, I don't vibe with that, you know, like, because I, I think one of the things about Equinox that made it so special was that somebody could come into Equinox, a woman or a man, a woman with like a Navy suit on and white pearls and be comfortable. And yet they could right next to a person that's completely tatted up with nose rings and whatever. And for some way they could, we could all live in this space. We could all sweat in this space. Like that that place. And, and that's not a lot of places where you can have that level of, of differences. I mean, look at the world we're in now, like, woo. Yeah. Do
0: you think, I mean, you're so great at inspiring people and managing a team, which, you know, Equinox is very much known for its culture, but you also built so many brands within the company, right? I mean, you guys basically started private training. I mean, that wasn't a thing back then, but you know, as someone who's starting their business, how
1: did you at the time create all these different avenues within one company? In the beginning with personal training, well, first of all, if you read the statistics the stats in the industry, I mean, it was like 3% of any of people would actually personal train. And so, you know, there wasn't obviously a real need, but I, th- I think what happened with us was we had seen how um, having individual instruction in our lives was really great. Like even me as a dancer, like I was in a dance group, but then my mom, got to a point where I went and I took private lessons because individual uh, attention actually would help you, you know, would help you. uh, um, Excel in whatever you're trying to. So we saw that. And then even like before that, like I would go skiing and I didn't have a lot of money. Trust me. Like I did not. I, I mean, I, I could live well prior to that, but, you know, but I still would put my money aside. That when I would go to Aspen, and I would go to Aspen and stay at a girlfriend's house, but that I would still take two or three hours of private instruction. People say to me, "That's such a waste of money, just going a lesson." But somehow, maybe because of understanding that in my dance, I saw how that those three hours of private instruction with that instructor made I could really hone in on my skills, and then. The rest of my trip, I was able to, you know, really um, use that to get better. So I think there were some things that we constantly innately knew. Um, again, because in those days, it was really just celebrities or professional athletes that were personal training. It wasn't like, you know, um, executives even. So I mean, then it was like, then we started realizing, and that was actually the brainchild of my brother Danny. Like, my brother Danny saw. Again, because he was so good at finance, so good at the numbers, so good at figuring that out. And then he was like, you know what? We're going to create these tiers. And then the next thing you know, we started creating these tiers. And then we had to get them educated because in those days, there really wasn't a great... There were different trainings, like certifications. But first of all, it was never mandatory. And then I remember working... I was working with a trainer. He wasn't actually even an Equinox trainer. He was, we were on the workout floor and he would keep putting down other trainers. He'd say, see that move? They shouldn't be doing that with that person. You see that move? He shouldn't be doing, like, like people are going to get hurt. So then I remember going up to Danny and saying, you know, I don't think we should just let people just do whatever they want with people. I think we have to kind of, because Alberto keeps getting in my ear that that woman is 40 pounds overweight, should not be doing that exercise. And that woman, and then Danny would say, you know what? Let's all bring them in, in a forum and let everybody start defending their move. And let's see where that goes. So it was like that I'm saying, like we were always seeing an issue. And before we knew it, we were creating these forums. And then Alberto, my guy, was part of the forum. And then we had this guy, this other guy, who um, Bob Squarey that was part of the forum. And before we knew it, what birthed out of the forum was the Equinox Fitness Training Institute. It was just like, that's how things happened, you know, like it was just those ways. It wasn't like we didn't sit down and do a business plan and say, oh, we're going to create an Equinox Fitness Training Institute. Like you try one thing, you see. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, we're really onto something here. Wow. Realizing how much they really don't know. Like these young trainers don't know when somebody's 20 pounds overweight or 30 pounds and has a knee issue, what exercises to do. So now we've got to give them the education for that. And trust me, that took a lot of time, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy to really create that. But that was like, that was our breakaway. Like that was when we like literally just broke away uh, to being considered serious fitness. You know, And of course, at the same, around the same time we created the wellness center. Which was really my birth thing because I jumped out of bed one day and jumped out of bed, landed flat on my face, broke my cheekbone, um, and I was in the best shape of my life. Like, you know, end up in Lenox Hill Hospital. Must be stress. And I'm like, stress? How can like How can I have stress? I'm 30 years old or 32 years old. I'm in the best shape. I work out every day. I. Uh, do aerobics to get it out. I bike it out. I rollerblade it out. I lift it out. Like there's no stress. And that was my real beginning of realizing you can be incredibly fit and unhealthy. So that started my journey of, okay, if you can be so fit and I was really fit, like I was, my resting heart rate was 55. My, my combined cholesterol, I think was 140 with a HDL, which is your good cholesterol, oh, well over a hundred. Like it was just how, can, and then that falls on the floor. And then, so that, I was like the epitome of health. Like I'd walk into a room and everybody would think like healthy fit. And, um, and then I started that journey and I realized, wow, you can be healthy because to be healthy, not, fit, but to be healthy, you have to be spiritually healthy Mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, and physically healthy. So then, after about two years of exploring that journey, then we opened up the Equinox Wellness Center. Mm. And no one was talking about wellness back then. No, the only thing people were talking about was anti aging. Yeah. Like we're talking, and, and actually, you know, it's really funny. I tell this story in a lot of my entrepreneur um, workshops is like, I remember being in the room with our team. And we were trying to figure out a name. And people were coming up with the Longevity Center and the Anti-Agingness aging Center. And, and then one day someone said, and we had a whole list of everything we were, every, all the things that we were. And somebody said, well, what is the opposite of illness? Or like illness, like what's the opposite? Like, and then somebody said, well, it would be like wellness. And it was, somebody was like, is that a name? is that even a real word, wellness? Let me have to look it up to see if it's a word. Like there was no category. Like there wasn't one beep of wellness. Like I always say like, God, I should have like trademarked that name. (laughs) Because wellness is a trillion dollar business, right? It's a trillion dollar business. And getting every day, I'm reading the research and they're saying that The wellness category out of this pandemic is actually going to be another breakaway. So you imagine like you're in a room and you're like, is that a word? And all that
0: happened because you had such an incredible team. I'm curious, when you guys were expanding all
1: across the U.S., how did you maintain that culture? So we were, by the time it went um, across country, we already were out of the day, the day to day of that. Got it. And I really think, like, instinctively, like, people will say, why'd you sell? Why'd you sell? Why'd you sell? And I think at some point, you also have to know what you're good at. Like, I don't think, like, I'm good at creating. Like, I'm good at, like, creating it, getting excited, building something from nothing, and giving it, like, you know, carving out a new lane. Like, I don't care what it is. Like, that's what getting other... But when it, if when it would have come to like like running it like a CEO or a, yeah, it's a different business CEO not me at all and I had no problem to say that there was no ego well even our meetings uh, you know after we hired the person who went on to be the CEO even the meetings got like because everything he wanted I remember walking out of these meetings and be like oh my god God, like, this is all yesterday. Like, we're sitting here looking at numbers. Like, I don't enjoy that. Like, I want to talk about the next, the new. Like, I'm all about forging it forward with more creativity, how we can make something better. I'm not going to sit there and just, you know, sit there. And I used to say, like, when I walk out of these meetings, like, oh, my God, we just beat that horse dead. You know, like, it's like I would walk out and I would think to myself, oh, my God, like, can you say possibility killer? And that's how I started viewing, like, when it got so big and it started going like that. It was like all possibility killer. And I'm even watching the way the staff is now talking. And I'm like, I wanted to scream and go, who are you people? Like, yeah. come on, I want your old people back. But they were already figuring out how to fit into what turned out to be the new culture, which I wouldn't have ever, ever fit into that. Like that was not, that's why the first time when we, when somebody wanted to buy us, they wanted us to give give us a little bit of money. And then we would basically like work for them for the next five years. And then after the five years, then we get our big chunk of money. And I remember my brother Danny talking to me about it. And I was like, that's never going to happen. And he's like, why, Levin, like, first of all, that's a lot of money to take off the table for us. I mean, you have to realize, like, we're like this family from Hackensack, New Jersey. Like, yes, I mean, five or ten million dollars might have been a lot of money, but I was just like, we can't work for anyone. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, there is no way that we can go from who we are, the way we express ourselves, the way we create, to now we're going to fit into somebody's like box. I was just like, There's nothing about that that is going to happen, you know? There's just nothing about that. So that's another point. Like, you have to know who you are. Like, I know a lot of times when founders, when they go into it and they start, um, you know, they start uh, going through VCs and getting money and doing all that. And then you need the, they want to be the CEO. But it's like nine times out of 10, they're really not, they shouldn't be the CEO, they should stay the founder if they want to be the founder. You know, I know there's a lot of people now that are all doing these. There's these amazing people that come and they're helping founders. They're working with them as a consultant for a year to be, to help them become CEOs. So I guess, I guess, you know, there's like, you either have to learn it, hire it. You know, that's that, that you have to learn it or you have to hire it. I would have never, that would have never been a trajectory that I would have. And I remember our controller was trying to get me to go back and get my master's and so that I could go into that role. And I remember thinking, like, if I'm going for my master's, I'm getting it in, like, something creative. Like, there is no way I'm going back for that. Like, I'd rather hire somebody who could do it. Like, that was always something I thought you could hire. I always thought it was so much harder to hire vision to hire that, like you can't hire that. That like, like that just sort of like downloads in you. But you can hire that. You can hire Harvard Business School. You can hire that. You can hire the CEOs. You can't hire the vision. You can't. That isn't something on any one of us, Vito, Danny, or myself. Like that would have been, that's not something you can really hire.
0: So I'm curious, with all that, how did you feel when the company finally sold?
1: I just remember Yasmin thinking that, well, first of all, it's like, okay, you created the American dream. Like, look, we had we had calluses, like it was our hard work, like we had sweat and tears and, and so much that we like, that was it. It was like, literally, uh, it, it had to be like close to... 12, 13 years when you talk about like right from the beginning, the first club creating it, you know? So it's like, that was a lot, you know, that was a lot of time. That was a lot of energy. That was a lot of compromise. That was a lot of sleepless nights. That was a lot of like, you know, getting up in the middle of the night, like remembering, oh my God, I have an idea and then writing it down. And, you know, like it was just all that. And I just remember thinking like, and I guess that you know, the year that you're going to sell, it's a tough year. Like, you know, they bring in all the forensic accountants and they're bringing in this and they're bringing in that. And it's just like, and I remember my brother kept saying, there's something on the table right now, Lavinia, that this deal could go south. And we were still trying to pretend that we were like, I don't remember all all the details, but, um, you know, that the CEO was now running it and we weren't as involved because we were selling it to that. We were just going to walk away. Yeah, there was no. Yeah, yeah, as if we were out drinking pina coladas um, for the last year, which there was no truth to that. Like we were literally still hitting it hard because if this deal went south, we were right back in. So for us, it was like this was like this was it. And and I even remember that summer, like I was supposed to stay out at the beach. I was supposed to stay in the Hamptons for the month and it was like, there's no way I could stay out there for the month. And I think I was there for maybe a few days and then back and forth and back and forth. And, and then we finally closed in December. And even the day before, I remember the day before my brother walked in my office and he's like, we're on slippery soil right now, Levan." I'm like, okay, okay. And I just kept saying, praying, praying, you know, and we sell. And it's all this excitement. We all go, To Cipriani's with all of our friends and the health and beauty editors, and just a lot of friends and people that really helped us kind of climb this trajectory. And I remember everybody walking up to me and saying, Can you believe it? Like, oh my God, Lavinia, how do you feel right now? And I just remember feeling like, you know, I don't think it's hit me. I just don't think it's hit me because, you know, like, This water that I'm drinking tastes exactly the same as it did before I had like millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I don't know. Maybe it's just the simple little girl in me that I thought everything was going to feel different and taste different. And I just thought everything was going to be like heightened. That would be just like heightened. Like you've arrived. You have this. You'll never have to worry about like. And then of course it was Christmas and we all went, we I'm sure the Christmas gifts were a lot more luxurious that year. And then we all go on our Christmas vacations and we come back and my, I take my son to school that day at drop off and his dad goes to work. And I remember the moment and I can even connect so well to that feeling. I'm walking off of The playground after drop off. And I just get this moment where I have, I never stopped to think about that moment. Like, what do I do? Like this moment of nothingness, but like, it was a deep nothingness. Like I was just remember, I was like so paralyzed because I was so used to dropping him off and then I had a car waiting for me. And before I even got off the playground, I started to make my business calls. You know, calling the office, calling Judy, calling this one, calling that one, calling Anisha. And I'm like, in my in my thing. And all of a sudden it was like, I had nobody to call. I had no to-do list. I It was really a very daunting moment. And so I think I went to Equinox, worked out, um, but I really didn't want to talk to people about it. Like I just, you know, I knew like I had to, I knew people wanted to vent and complain and how, do you, you know, there were a lot of people that were like, how did you not tell us? I thought you would have told us. But, you know, when you're going through that process, you can't tell people, you know, like it's like it's a it's a whatever.
0: I'm sure you you were nervous that people would look at you and it's like, "Well, you just sold your company, Lavinia. Like, what do you mean you're sad?" I'm sure that was going through your mind, right?
1: You like you couldn't like you just couldn't even your friends. Like everybody knew it was like written in paper. It was written on the paper how much we sold it for and even though the numbers were never right, but anyway, but it was still a lot stole a lot of money nonetheless. And so what are you going to tell your friends? Oh my God, I'm in a depression. It was like, okay, just go to Chanel, spend a couple, you know, spend $10,000. You'll feel better. Like there was this, and then my, I remember talking to my mom and saying like, mom, like, and she's like, it's okay, Lavinia. You're just going to have to find your new, a new way. Like you're going to get involved in stuff and you'll, you'll figure out Lavinia that way. And I had already, because remember, I had been on that journey in the wellness, creating the wellness center. So I had already had some, you know, people I'd been working with, some spiritual coaches and things like that. So I was still working with them, Alita, Barbara Bijou. And I remember then, again, I kept saying, it hasn't hit me, hasn't hit me. And then I... I think it must have been about two and a half months into it. I woke up and I just realized it finally hit me. It just hit me that I was so lost and I just didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was without a goal, without achieving, without this machinery that goes, 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 because I'd been that girl since I'd been a little girl. You know, like that was part of who I was. I it was just this machinery that just goes and goes and goes and does. And, really, and now it was like, and part of what you did, it was in your survival. Right. You did all that to survive. Well, now I didn't need to do anything for my survival, but I didn't know who I was without doing all of these things, doing, doing, going, going. You know, it was just like, I was so, I mean, honestly, like I was so out of my, my skin, And then I remember my brothers were doing the James Hotel, and then they were talking to me. Well, why don't you come and do with like do the spa, do the wellness, do that? And I went to a couple meetings, and um, I was kind of talking to them about that. But then I had already, you know, some of the life coaches I was working in was like, Lavinia, do you need the money? It's like, no, of course I don't need the money. Then why are you doing this? Well, you know, like, and of course, at that time I'm so defensive. I was like, you know, that's just who I am. Like, I'm this person that just needs to keep creating and creating and going. And like, I have so many ideas. Like, I need to, and they were like, Linia, you're just a person that needs to be very distracted from yourself. And maybe if you if you want to go and do that, fine. But we well, can't tell you no, but at some point something's gonna happen and you're gonna have to deal with what what it is you're so gracefully trying to avoid by creativity, by creating and creating and and you know it was those couple of years of looking deeply into that, that, you know, so I always say, like, the two big things in my life, yes, like, I know everybody always wants to hear the Equinox story. But for me, it's like, and why I'm so passionate about what I do now is because it's the building of Lavinia. And I wish that there would have been a curriculum people teaching you at a young age, how to meld the two, how you can Build a successful career, but also be in touch with your authentic self, be in touch with your dark side, be in touch with some of the conditioning that your family, um, you know, origin of family and like how how to meld that because you can do it simultaneously and still be uber, uber, uber uberly successful.
0: I love that. And for the women listening to this podcast right now, what advice do you have for them to find their authentic self and find that lane that they should be in?
1: Well, I also have a a theory that you don't find your lane, your lane finds you. Hmm. So when you start connecting and that's why I like connect to the things that you know, you love,
0: you know, you worked so hard in the process of finding your own lane how do you recommend going through that process for the women that you mentor without hitting that same exact burnout you experienced?
1: You know, that is, Yasmin, yeah, it's, it's a very hard one because our society sort of sets it up that you just have to work these ridiculous hours. Just ridiculous. And, and the thing that's interesting is that is never sustainable, you know, like you can't sustain. I mean, I remember being like, I remember literally being on this train. My brother Danny and I were going down to, to Philadelphia to meet who, who would end up being our human resource person. And I even remember on the way down there thinking, why are we on this train? Like, why is she not coming up? And it was very interesting because that woman already had boundaries, and she let us know, I mean, look, you guys want to come and meet with me. You can come meet with me, but I don't, I have two young kids and I don't see myself schlepping to New York and doing that. I'm certainly not moving. My husband's an attorney and, you know, but we were like, I guess like when you think about like the pit bull on the bone, When we wanted something, it was like we were not giving up. Like we just had that level of willfulness. And I feel like sometimes Danny and I together, it was like we were like could really inspire somebody like, you know. Um, so we go down there and we sit with her in this. I mean, when I tell you in the train station in this really disgusting um, coffee shop and we sat there and the three of us just laughed. We laughed. We had such a good time. We were like, tell we were telling like work stories and some of the stuff that was going on at Equinox and and how passionate we were about what we were doing and why we needed this person and why the person who recommended her and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, she says, she went home and she said to her husband, you know, I know this is ridiculous, but I really love them.
0: Hmm.
1: I really love what they're doing. But what I, why I'm pointing her out is, There was no doubt in my mind that that woman, because she was smart, creative, she could have created her own brand and have been like, I'm sure, uberly off the charts successful. But she chose, she had boundaries around what she was going to do. So she never had that big, but you know what? She had a great life. You know, like you have to be realistic about what it is like, and yet she has a very successful life. I'm sure she'll tell you her life was super successful. Now she didn't have the big payout that we had, but so what? At the end of it, the money isn't what makes someone happy. And unfortunately this society right now is so based on that is what shows how happy you are is how much money you make. And it's so not, it is so not the case So not. We never got into Equinox thinking. I mean, today, when I sit down with young entrepreneurs and they show me their business plan and their exit plan is in there, I don't invest in stuff like that. Like I'm not that person. Now, I know there are investors that need to see the exit plan. But for me, I need to see that this entrepreneur, if I have to work for the next 20 years doing this, like I'm in. I love what I'm doing. If there's an exit that can be worked in there and it's great. If not, like I'm in it, you know, that's the energy that I personally find really inspiring. That's the character that I like to invest in. Um, So I think, you know, it's, it's getting clear on who you are, you know, now, if you're just that person, like that, it's all about money and title and having the CEO and, you know, like, and I see that and, Trust me, I see that a lot. I see that a lot in young women that were, you know, high achievers at school, graduated, ta 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 and then when I got that master's, I went on and did this, and then it's that. And I have declared, they declared themselves at 10 years old, they were going to be the CEO or the whatever. And they're still, it's that little girl that's still running that show, you know? The same way if I didn't pivot out of acting, that was the little girl at 10 that said, I want to be an actress. Yeah, but at 24, I was real, and there were a lot of things about this industry I don't really like. It's not really speaking to me. There's like a whole side of this industry that's very sleazy, that's very uh, dark, and I'm not feeling it. But I'm not going to be like, but I declared that at 10 years old, and now I'm going to be a failure if I don't. Like, we We all have the right, as we gather information, and as we grow and we realize who we are, I don't want, like, this is really not. Like, I had to tell an entrepreneur recently who I'd been working with, and I know she really wants to be a CEO, and that's been her trajectory, and that's what she wants to do. And finally, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I said, I don't really think you want to be a CEO. And she's like, what are you talking about, that?" And I'm like, listen, when I listen, when I really listen to what you talk about, and when I listen to the excitement that bubbles up in your voice when you're talking about going to your daughter's school and listening to the poetry day because you're getting to work a little bit at home right now. And when you're doing this and you're doing that, honey, that is not the directory trajectory of a CEO. Like a CEO is literally gets up at 4.30 in the morning. They're getting on. They're reading everything they need to read. Then they they're usually they have their private trainer come to their house at five. They work out from five to six. I'm talking about like the beginning CEO. They're at their first breakfast meeting at seven. They're working They Start their day they are They're not getting home till seven, eight o'clock. They're traveling during the week to go and see to do speeches or they get home Friday night at 11 o'clock. They have Saturday with their family. And by Sunday at four o'clock, they're back at it. Like that. And when you're working your way to that, you're even working more hours than that. I don't see that in you. And like, but you need to see that that's not what lights you up. Like that is really not what's lighting you up. What's really lighting you up is this, this and this. But for whatever reason, you're framing it as if I'm going to fail. It's the framing of it that's, that's creating this, this um, situation, this imbalance, this duality. Um, and I think, you know, after that conversation, she texts me a little bit and she's like, wow, this has been one. I've slept better this week than I've slept in a really long time. Wow. And now we're, now we're going to carve that out. What may be that? to really be more aligned with that bubbling of her voice when she gets excited, that twinkle in her eye. Like now we're going to start carving out those things. And you know what? I would imagine in five years, it's going to look look a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean she's not going to be successful. I believe she's going to be overly successful.
0: I think that self-awareness is so crucial, especially because entrepreneurship is that thing that everybody wants to do today and it's not the right life for everyone. So I really appreciate that takeaway. Another topic that's so key is the topic of self-love. From your perspective, how can we step into it and create more of it in our lives?
1: Well, you know, I do think a lot of that does start with your family of origin. Like I do believe that, it's in the way in which you are brought up. But most people are not brought up because they're brought up to fit into the family um, the family box. You know, this is what we do. This is how we say, this is how we behave. You know, they're not really allowed to fully express themselves. And I don't mean nasty. I just mean like, you know, whatever. If it's a kid and, and he really loves art, but he notices that, when he plays soccer, he gets more attention from the parents for soccer. And even though when he comes home with an A in art, it's like, oh, that's nice, Billy. But when he comes home with an A in math, you know, it goes up on the refrigerator and everybody knows that he got an A in math. And then he realizes very young. Okay. These are the things that I get recognized in my family for sports and grades, but yeah. Yeah. Being a great human being, being able, like coming, like getting noticed as like a person at school that has beautiful character, is able to connect with other kids in a really nice, kind, gentle, like whatever. They, they don't get accolades for that. They don't get noticed for that. They don't get noticed for their great. So that at a young age, little Billy learns, okay, this is what I have to do to fit into this family culture and be loved, Right. Then all of a sudden, then little Billy goes to school and goes to college and goes into finance or whatever is gonna make the family go, whoa, 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 amazing, amazing, look at him, we're so proud he got into this school, whatever. And then all of a sudden he's 30 years old and all of a sudden you realize he's like drinking a lot of alcohol or doing a lot of this and what's the story? And then all of a sudden it's like, he's he's not lit. He's not getting out of bed in the morning excited. He's not feeling this thing of like, oh my God, I love my life. Of course, he doesn't love his life. He started suppressing what he loved at eight years old because of the family culture. See, yeah, so yeah. That's why, and that, and and I want to understand. Like, it's not because the parents don't love you. Like, it's not like oh my god, my parents. Did. They loved you. They did the best that they can. They did not get the manual. I mean, that's what I love about today. Like, there's so many amazing, amazing people out there that are doing some great things to really help people parent, that kid that really does have self-love. Self-love because they have self-expression. They're being their their true essence of who they are. They're not fitting into this family of, this is what it takes to be a, or whatever for us. This is what it takes to be an Eric. And I'm not saying my parents were not like that, but I see that a lot, you know, so I think, you know, self-love really comes into self-connection when you're willing, like, do the work and really connect to the things. And you got to look at things like, why do I really want to? Like, I love the question, why? That's, so, you know, like, why do I want to be this? Why? Like, And then you start looking at, like, at a young age, like, okay, what did my, and again, you unfortunately- And I know people because they love their parents so much they don't want to go back and look at some of that stuff because they feel like they're almost betraying their family to do it, but it's part of the journey of what you have to do. And you you just love and have compassion for your parents to know that they did the best that they could, you know. But you have to kind of connect to those things, and then you have to like almost re. like do a little bit of inner child work to heal some of that stuff and create boundaries. I mean, there's so many great things around boundaries, which is it. uh, um, Yeah. And then you connect with that and then you start moving forward and you start connecting with what really makes you happy. Like what is your real happy place? You know, what, what, really brings you joy. Like, and when you really start understanding the things like that, then you start understanding more about you. And then it's easier to say, no, thank you. You know, like I remember telling a woman who would always invite me in the Palisades to these things, these events. And finally I said to her, look, when you want to go to lunch alone, I'm your girl, call me, we'll go and we'll have lunch, super cash, but please stop inviting me to those like tragically hit luncheons with who's who in the palisades, I'm not, that's just not where I'm at in my life right now. And it's like, but I, I mean, I remember her looking at me, she's like, but Lavinia, like everybody I know would die to be invited to that. I'm like, I understand, but I'm not that, you know, like it was just such a clarity and who I am. Like I know who I am. I know the way I want to navigate my life. And I think when you do that and people will say like, man, Lavinia, She's going to call it the way she sees it. And I think then they start really respecting you for, for that.
0: You know, that's really interesting. I never thought about it in that way and the connection between self-love, clarity, and boundaries. Well, Lavinia, this has been an incredible conversation, and I just want to acknowledge you for all the insights that you shared with us today on our show. And I also want to acknowledge your amazing team and all the work that you're doing with the inside out movement, which we'll add more details in our show notes for the guests to learn more about. And
1: that's the truth. It's like, I have an amazing team of people around. I mean, one of the people that that's on my team I've had, uh, she's been on my team from Equinox. I Oh, like 30 years ago. Wow. No, not 30 years ago. She came on, I think about 26 years ago and I still work with her and you know, everybody else, is just so important and that's because they also every one of these women are passionate about what i'm passionate about like making women stronger in like a fierce fun like keep the fun factor keep the feminine factor keep the joy you know and yet be able to like like look we work hard and i still work hard like i have people's like my niece was here yesterday And she was out at the pool because we're kind of social distancing, quarantining. And she's like, what's up? How come I haven't seen you? I said, girl, I'm working. And she's like, I can't believe how hard you work, Aunt Levan. Like, that's amazing. But you know what? I don't know what I would do during this pandemic if I wasn't working. Like, I feel so blessed to be able and to have this team of women around that I just genuinely love jumping on the call in the morning with. And listening to their ideas and their passions, and and there was just this respect of like I love their ideas, even if not all of them are aligned with everything for me. But it's like let's let's do it. And for the most part, it is, you know. And they're fun. Like every single one of them, like you'd want to go out and have a drink with, or go to the beach with, and spend the day with. Like, and that's another thing that's really important is to have people around that you really that you like like that that you just want to be with like oh my god like I just I love being with you you know yeah
0: you have a great team and I think just having a mission that you guys are all aligned on and that's bigger than yourself is so key and you can just see it with your programming and just the conversations you guys are having so I'm excited Uh, to see what else you guys are up to and I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us Lavinia
1: All right, great. And I wish you all the best on your endeavor. I know it's going to be amazing. I know you're going to be very successful. Thank you so much for listening to this episode
0: of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny, and it's never too late to start your own empire.